Hello, my friends. This is Topical Thursday. I want to cover three different topics with you. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Last week, I did Topical Thursday, just a made-up title. Not sure I'm going to run with this, but it was received pretty well. And so I thought I'll just try it again. Rather than devoting 30 minutes to one idea and working it out, I'm going to skip the rock across the pond and cover three different topics, things that really speak to all of our lives, and I trust that you will benefit from each one of these and that you would also be, uh, it will also encourage you to have uh, these conversations with your friends as well. And so this is episode 330. I titled it after the first topic that I'm going to talk to you about, episode 330, take a psychological selfie of yourself and others. Now, there are two other topics, and topic number two, it is called a subtle way we lose cultural ground for biblical advancement. I want to talk about some of the words that we use, words that have crept into our culture that really aren't helpful as far as biblical advancement, and I'll cover that in just a moment. And then topic number three, I want to talk about what kind of discipler are you. I want to introduce you to three different disciplers. You can pick uh, which category best, best fits you, and I trust that we will all be encouraged to mature into the best kind of disciple maker that we can possibly be. If you want to look at the bulleted notes for this episode and all three of these topics that I'm going to share with you, please go to episode 330. Again, the title of it is topic number one. The title is Take a Psychological Selfie of Yourself and Others. So let me jump right into it. This first topic, this first topic, taking a psychological selfie of yourself and others, came out of a conversation that I had with my son. Uh, he is uh, he is an adult. Uh, he's a teenager, and as an adult, uh, as you know, the teenage years are the most formative time in a young adult's life. They're trying to figure out their own identity. Who are they in God's world? They're moving out from under the shadow of the parents and the training that they had received up to this point in their life. And then as they step into the teenage years, which we, our family, call uh, we call them adults. We don't call them teenagers, and so they're young adults. So they go from child to adult. In these early formative years, they're trying to figure out who they are. And many of you can really relate to that. Uh, maybe it wasn't so long ago. It wasn't so many years ago. For me, it was it was a century ago, but I still remember it very well. And it's a difficult time as you're trying to figure out who you are and discover your identity and how you're supposed to live in and engage the world. And one of the conversations that we, we had or that I had with him is that we we're talking about this idea of trying to understand our friends, you know, who they are. Now, what I shared with him also applies to him as well, trying to figure out who he is, and it applies to me too. And I trust that you will benefit as well. And what I told him is that if you want to understand who your friends are, there's there's two primary categories that you want to analyze as you think about your friends. 
Number one, you want to examine their friends, the kind of people that they gravitate toward. Who are the people that they like to hang out with? And then the second big category to understand your friends is the media that they consume, like tributaries. The media is like tributaries that flow into their minds that shape them, and and they give them a persona. They give them an identity. And so those are the two big categories Uh, the friends that they associate with, and the media that they consume. Why is this important? Well, it's important because, let's say, for example, you're going to date somebody. You want to know who that person is before you get too deep into that relationship. And a great way to take a psychological selfie or to psychologically analyze a person is, is look at this objective data that's out there And that's the friends that they have and the media that they consume. And so as I was talking to him, it's like you have this friend, and who does this friend hang out with? Who does this friend gravitate toward? When you have nobody else to hang out with, who do you want to hang out with? And so you can look inside their work relationships, church relationships, if they go to school, school relationships, hobbies, like, say, sports, sporting teams. Who do they hang out with on those sporting teams? I mean, everybody, it's like water seeks its own level. You pour water out on the ground, and it'll eventually settle in at a certain spot, and it'll just be there. And you put an individual inside a work environment, church environment, school environment, a sporting environment, or their local community, and everybody will start pairing off with someone else or with a group of other people. And the reason we do that is because we gravitate toward the people that we enjoy being with because that's who we are. And so if you want to know who your friends are or if you want to know the kind of person that you are, all you have to do is examine your associations, your friends. And then the second category that I mentioned to our son is the media that we listen to. Now, this is diverse. There's many types of media, like social media, for example, and inside that category, <laughs> that in itself has many different strands. And so there's social media, and then there's books that we read or books that we don't read. Uh, there's television, there's TV shows, there's movies, and then there's music. There's just a few uh, illustrations of the kind of tribute, these strands, these tributaries that flow into us through uh, media. So if you get on a person's social media platform, the one that they enjoy being on, and you look at what they are saying or what they are doing. I've done this for years back when I was doing counseling because social media is just hanging out there and it's low-hanging fruit. And so if I really wanted to know more about a person that I was counseling, that's what I did. I would go on their social media platform. And sometimes you, like say, you go on Facebook and you see this is a serial selfie person where they just have picture, 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 picture of themselves, you know, their body, them looking in a mirror and showing their bodies off or showing their faces and and that type of thing. Or you can go into their stream and, and the conversations that they have. 
many people, many people do not have a social filter, and that could be a good or a bad thing. If you're trying to understand them, I, I guess it could be a beneficial thing. Of course, it's also a harmful thing as well because some people don't have a social filter. But when you go on their platforms and see what they like or see what they put out there or see or read the conversations that they have, again, it is telling you the kind of person that this is. And I don't mean to do this in an uncharitable or a judgmental way, but in a discerning way. Because if you want to know the kind of person, I mean, you do want to know the kind of person that you're hanging out with, that would be foolish not to. And so you can assess a person in the most charitable way, but you do want to be discerning as you do that because you don't want to find yourself in a position that you would later regret. And so if you're trying to understand an individual, those are the two ways that you do it. It's the assimilation of their friend list and the assimilation of their media in whatever strands that media can be. One of the things I don't want you to do, and I appeal to parents to don't fall into this trap. Don't let them fool you by telling you the kind of person that they are. Here's the problem with parents is that we can wish our children to be better than what they really are. Uh, we, we can intentionally put on blinders because we we can wish them into heaven, we can wish them saved, we can wish them in a better position in life when reality is staring us right in the face and when you look at their associations, the kind of people that they hang out with or the kind of media that they consume, those two things are telling us a different story, but we can willfully blind blind ourselves because we don't want to know the truth, particularly about our own children. And so you can take a psychological selfie of yourself, and I think that would be a good exercise to examine yourself uh, by going on your favorite social media uh, platform and looking at how you present yourself or the things that you like or the comments that you make or whatever the communication is on those platforms. I think that would be interesting. So topic number one, take a psychological selfie of yourself, examining yourself first, and then also of others, especially like say a parent, you want to understand uh, your child, for example, or in the illustration that I opened with, I wanted my son to realize the kinds of friends that he was choosing and a way for him to diagnose those friends or analyze those friends by looking at those two primary pieces of information, their friend list and the media that they consume. Topic number two is a subtle way we lose cultural ground for biblical advancement. I want to introduce uh, three words to you that have been popularized in our culture. These are cultural labels that uh, don't appear to be wrong at first glance, but when you examine these cultural labels, you realize that this is a problematic way of talking about a particular issue. And in this particular topic, I'm I want to bring up three different issues by talking about three different common cultural labels. And whenever I talk about words, uh, I almost always add the warning that I don't want any of us to become the word police. And sometimes when we hear something like what I'm about to say, we can go after people with a hammer or a mallet and 
or start shooting them down like clay pigeons. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be harsh or unkind to other people with how we communicate, but we do want to be clear and we want to be direct and we want to help people to think clearly about in this case, the language that we are using. And so, therefore, there's this warning, let's steward what I'm about to say in the kindest of ways, but again, we do want to be clear in our communication, uh, how we communicate to others, how we think about these things, and as we guide others into more uh, biblical clarity. And so again, this is topic number two, a subtle way that we lose cultural ground for biblical advancement. Now let me explain what I mean. What I'm saying here is that we'll take a universal label, something that is clearly understood. We all know this label, this word, this way of describing a category and we'll take that universal label and we will modify it by placing another word in front of it. And when we modify this universal label, the original term, the label, it loses its meaning. And I want to give you three illustrations of what I'm talking about. The first label is the, is the word male, M-A-L-E, the gender, male. That is a universal label. It, it is a broad category that means, I mean, it's a, a comprehensive category that means one thing, a man, a boy, a male. Now, what we do, what we have done with that is that we have modified that term by, there's a new term that has come into our culture called biological male. And once we use that term, biological male, then we have already lost the argument because now we are saying that there are different kinds of males. There's a biological male. And where this comes into play is that because of the transgender problem that's going on in our culture, we will say this person is a biological male, that they are a, really a male but not a woman, but this person is a transgender, and there's a different kind of category for this person here. And so now there's two kinds of males. There's a male in the historical normal understanding of that, a biological male. And then there is a male who is really a woman, but they want to be a man. And so they're not a biological male but they are transgendered. And that's what happens when we modify a term. And this is dangerous. And so, we again, I, I realize this is cancellation material that I'm talking about here. But And so I want you to be careful in how you communicate this. But we can't give up ground here. We, can't, we cannot give up ground. That's why I, I titled this topic, A Subtle Way We Lose Cultural Ground for Biblical Advancement by buying into these labels. And so we have to live in a world where these labels are introduced and are used broadly, but we, don't, we, want, to make, we want to be careful that we're thinking clearly about this and that we don't fall for these subtle linguistic traps. There is only one kind of male, and 
when we modify by saying biological male, then we've opened ourselves up to more than one kind of male, and it's just not true. Let me give you another illustration of what I'm talking about. Number two is the word or the label traditional marriage. Well, when you say traditional marriage, then what you're actually saying is that there's now different kinds of marriage. No, there's only one marriage. The marriage is between a man and a woman. It's a covenant made between a man and a woman under God. That is marriage. But we call that traditional marriage now. And when we say traditional marriage, we, say, we mean marriage, as I have described it, between a man and a woman. But because we have modified it by saying traditional, then we are implying that there are other kinds of marriage as well. Gay marriage, for example, or sologamy. Sologamy is when you marry yourself, and that is a thing, where you marry yourself. You have a, a wedding, and you are, you, you are the couple. I mean, you, you're the man and the woman, or whatever you call yourself, but you marry yourself. Do you solemn, solemnly swear? I don't even know how that works, honestly. I mean, I know what they're saying, and, and there have been weddings performed, sologamous weddings, but then what do you do when you get a divorce? I mean, how do you divorce yourself? And so, I mean, okay. And then there's polyamorous marriages, and this is where there's multiple people in the marriage. For example, like three gay guys, for example, and they adopt a child, and they have a polyamorous marriage. And so when we use a term like traditional marriage, or we use a term like biological male We've already lost the argument because now we've modified a universal term where it can have multiple meanings, when in reality, biblically speaking, it doesn't. And then there's a third one that I want to use to illustrate, and it's the term African-American. And I realize that this is touchy as well, but the universal term, or at least in the United States, is American. We, we all are Americans, but once we begin to modify what Mer uh, what an American is by Asian American or African American or European European American or whatever the other modifiers can be, this is how we get into identity politics. This is how we tear away at an American centric culture to where identity to our subgroup is more important than the, collect the collective. And so the focus is on the identity of the subgroup rather than the primary category that we're all American. Now, these are three volatile subjects, and I do get it. I do understand, and I'm not trying to be hostile or adversarial. I don't want to get into hostile arguments with the transgender community, the gay community, or, or with our African-American community, but I want us to see that when we do what I'm suggesting here, that we then, then we lose the argument by tearing away at these titles. And so I don't want you to be the word police, and I don't want you to go into a conversation in an aggravating way. I want you to listen to other people, and I want you to try to understand them and understand their perspective. And maybe you would never say the things that I'm suggesting here to them, maybe never ever, or initially you want to build that relational bridge so that you can have these discussions appropriately. And so I, my appeal to you is to use wisdom 
but I want to be clear, I want to be direct, and I think that I have, and it is important that we do understand how these modifications to these universal terms do tear away at the fabric of whatever the original term meant, whether it's male or marriage or American. And so carefully steward this point of this topic without becoming the word police and without reacting harshly to others when they use these terms. Topic number three, what kind of discipler are you? Now, there are three kinds of disciples, or at least for this topic and the way that I'm presenting this to you. There is the, un- the first one is the unengaged discipler, and we'll go from worst to to best. And so the worst kind of discipler that you can be, and again, I want you to just ask God to help you to, to analyze yourself and, and, and to speak uh, into your life uh, as he should, and you be open to, to whatever that may be. But the, And so the question is, what kind of discipler are you? The first category that I want you to consider is the unengaged discipler. This is the spectator discipler or the spectator counselor. I'm using counselor and discipler uh, as synonyms. Uh, This is the person who has a lack of interest in other people, a lack of interest in helping people, a lack of intentionality when he sees an opportunity, someone who is struggling or someone that needs a piece of advice. Uh, This is the passive person. All of these things, whether you're a spectator, whether you have a lack of interest, whether you are passive, all three of these things is discipleship, are discipleship. All three of these things are counseling, because counseling and discipleship are communicating a message to others. Uh, What is the basic definition of counseling or discipleship? Is, Is sharing a message with another person to help them. If you are an unengaged discipler, if you're a spectator counselor, discipler, if you have a lack of interest, if you're passive uh, toward other people and whatever they're going through, you're communicating a message to them. And this is a unengaged disciple maker. And you're saying all kinds of things. You're not important. Your life's not important. There's no value to you. I don't like you. I'm not interested in you. You're not worth my time. Now, within the family dynamic, this, this really has a long, harsh-shaping influence, like, say, on, on children. And let's say that one of the parent, a parent was an unengaged disciple-maker. They had a lack of interest in the child, or they were passive in their parenting approach. Well, they are counseling. They are discipling. They are communicating a message to other people. And so I trust that none of you are this kind of disciple-maker and an engaged one, because it, it communicates a strong message, and it has it has a traumatic impact on the people who are within the sphere of influence of the unengaged discipler. And then number two, you have the experienced discipler. And what I mean by that, the personal experienced discipler, this is the person that uh, they typically share advice by using their story or something that happened to them. Now, this is not good in, in many cases, maybe most cases, depending on how many people they talk to. But every point of departure when it comes to discipleship is always out of their experience. 
And, and so they immediately map their experience over the individual that they're trying to help. And so they have a unidimensional way of, of discipling. And so you have the person who is unengaged, they're passive and spectating, and they're not interested. And then you have the person who always comes from their personal experience, and they share advice by using their story, not only as the backdrop, but as the primary mode of information that they want to communicate to the other, peop- other person. And this is really narrow, uh, and this is not a good way of doing disciple ship because everything is not about you or what happened to you and so if we can o- if we only disciple out of our experience then um, we're not going to be ultimately we're not going to be helping people the way that they they need help there's another twist to this that I want to share with you because you will see the personal experience discipler uh, on social media a lot and it's the individual who responds to a blurb based on what happened to them and and we see this all the time on facebook uh, where an individual will read a quote and the quote will trigger them in some way because something harsh happened to them they had a bad experience and they'll read the quote and rather than engaging the intent of the quote, they hijack it by talking about their experience and then they take the quote off in another direction because they can only think within their experience. And that is, honestly, that is a bad place to be. Uh, They haven't learned, they haven't indexed forward, they haven't matured out of their experience or they haven't learned how to use their experience to mature them and to open them up into a a growth process to where they can be open to other ways to do soul care, not exclusively out of their experience. And so this is topic three, what kind of discipler are you? You have the unengaged, not good. You have the experienced, I'm talking about the counsel disciple always from their personal experience. And then you have the eclectic counselor. This is the seasoned discipler. This person can disciple from a broad spectrum of truth, not just what happened to them. Uh, One of the ways that you may have heard this is they can counsel the whole Word of God, or they're growing into the possibility of counseling the whole Word of God. They may not be there yet, but they have worked through whatever happened to them, and so they're not always counseling out of their experience, and now they're maturing into a seasoned discipler to where it's not always a unidirectional approach. No matter what's going on in your life, I'm going to come at that issue based on what happened to me. To use an illustration, a good doctor is like this. A very good doctor is like this. Uh, He knows how to diagnose an issue according to what is happening to the individual rather than what has happened to them or whatever hobby horse that they may have. And that's what you want in a good doctor, that he comes from a broad spectrum of data and he filters you through that broad spectrum of data and he can come up with the most accurate diagnosis based on that broad spectrum of data and a disciple maker that's what you want as well a person who has grown to it and this is what i call a seasoned discipler they've grown to a place of maturity to where they can filter you through this ever-growing broad spectrum of data which is the word of god now what you want to do is you want to grow into the best kind of disciple maker that you can possibly be 
I trust that none of you are, are stuck in that place of unengaged where you're the spectator disciple or communicating a message that you don't value other people. That's a bad discipleship message. I trust that you're, if, if you had, especially if you've had harsh things happen to you, that you're growing beyond your personal story to where, and you'll know this by like, Whenever someone presents something to you, you immediately reflex and start talking about what happened to you. That's a clear indication, kind of like the person that responds who's triggered on social media. They immediately start talking about themselves. That's a bad vibe, and it doesn't help people. And so I trust that whatever has happened to you, that you do use that as a springboard to grow into this best possible kind of disciple maker, which is the eclectic or the seasoned disciple, discipler. Now, we're all growing in that direction. None of us have nailed it. None of us have hit our spot where we are completely full. We're always maturing into that person, and I, I hope that that's where, where you are. Now, if you need help, or if you want to uh, talk about any of these things, then uh, please reach out to us. I mean, this is what we do, honestly. I mean, this is our mission statement. Uh, we want to help people to help other people. And so we want to identify these eclectic counselors, those who uh, either have a desire to counsel the whole Word of God, or they're doing that now, but they want to continue to grow in it. But we want people who want to help people, and we want to come alongside them. And if you're in that position, and like you want to go through our mastermind program, for example, uh, we would love for you to go through it. Just sign up and let's get going, and we would love to help you to continue to grow in to that eclectic seasoned counselor. And so this is episode 330, Take a Psychological Selfie of Yourself and Others, topic number one. Number two, a subtle way to lose cultural ground for biblical advancement by our wordsmithing. I gave you three words there. And then finally, what kind of discipler are you? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.